turn our hearts to God in prayer. Dear Father, we ask this morning that you would fill us with your spirit and and make your word living within our hearts, that it might be also living within our lives. Give each one of us a heart to accept that pathway that you have set before us, and that we would with patience walk the journey that you have set us to walk upon, that you would also give each one of us that strength and that faith to know and to understand that wherever our journey might lead us, that you are there and your protecting hand is over us and that your angels are there to care for us. There are many things, Father, as we journey through this life, so many things which we do not understand. There are so many problems which we cannot solve. There are so many mountains that we cannot climb and rivers that we cannot cross. But Father, we know that wherever our journey leads us, that even as you led your children through the Red Sea and across the wilderness and across the River Jordan into the land of promise, so we also have that assurance that you will be there to guide us and that the blood of your Son, Jesus, is there to strengthen our hearts and to cleanse our sins. We ask, Father, that you would be with those that are that are sick and hurting. We ask that you'd be with, with Lars there in the hospital and allow that, that his system would have the strength and to fight against the infections and that your healing hand would be over him and be with his family and, and be with the, those that are aged and waiting for that day when the call shall come and the angels shall come to lift their souls into the glories of heaven be with them and be their strength and comfort be with those who have a burden on their heart because of their children and hear their prayers on their children's behalf if their children should be in places of trouble and heartache and, and pathways of sin be their help and their guide and be their comfort. Allow that each one of those parents could also lay their cares upon you so that you could bear their burden. For so, Father, your Son Jesus has promised that he would carry all our burdens. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from all evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen
read this morning from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. One day in the, or one part of a day in the journey of Jesus, and one great moment, one great incident in the in the life of a uh, of a person, of a woman in a moment that affected many others too through her testimony. This whole incident covers about 42 verses. I won't read them all. Maybe I'll just read. I'll read up to the 26th verse. In Jesus' name. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, Give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that thou saidst thou truly, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. 
But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Amen. Jesus' journey took him into, into many, many places and it took him into many places that the Jews did not journey normally and the land of Samaria was one of them. It was a, it was almost forbidden territory for the, for a good Jew to enter into because the land was so defiled and it was so polluted. That was the land, that was the land and that was the religion and that was the people that were formed, that was established as a result of the advice of the young men to Solomon's son. When Solomon's son came into power, he sought the advice of the old men because the people complained and said that our fa your father taxed us heavily and the burden that he placed upon us is great that if you release this burden, and they, they pleaded with him, release this burden and, and lighten our taxes and our labors. Solomon's lifestyle was so expensive that all the country had to labor and slave hard so that he could enjoy his luxuries and that he could give unto all his wives those things that he that they wanted but when the people pleaded and uh, so Jeroboam went and and he uh, he asked the old man what should I do and they said well if you obey, if you listen to these people and if you lighten their burden and their taxes that they will be faithful to you they will be devoted to you they will love you and show them some great kindness and he didn't really like that advice too much, so he went to his young friends and he says, what do you say I should do? And they said, oh. He says, they're just complaining. They're just complaining and tell them that that your small finger is thicker than your dad's thigh and he beat you with whips, you're gonna, you'll beat him with scorpions. Tell them that if you think that they had it hard under Solomon, they're going to find out what hard is. And he liked that advice. He liked aggression and an aggressive attitude and a self selfish attitude better than he liked mercy and kindness. I think a lot of us can identify with that. It comes a lot more natural when somebody counsels us to be hard, give it back to him, show him, you be the boss, don't let him get away with it. That is a lot more appealing to us quite often than if somebody says, well, wait a minute, just take it easy and 
be forgiving and be patient and and it was no different with this man so he followed the advice of the, of the young man and as a result the people revolted and Rehoboam rose up and he led ten tribes away and they there was two tribes left any more of the twelve and ten of them were in the land of Samaria and but they were used to going back to Jerusalem to worship so he set up idols on either end of the land of Samaria so that they wouldn't be roaming back to Jerusalem and he said these are the gods these are your gods worship them so they worshiped those gods and they started intermarrying amongst the Canaanites there in the land and and they were their worship was defiled their life was defiled their bloodlines was defiled their everything about them was corrupted and defiled and those two tribes that remained there in Jerusalem they remained undefiled they married amongst themselves they did not intermarry with the with the heathens there and and they very carefully kept the law of Moses and the worship and the dedication of those things in the temple so the contrast between their brothers their blood brothers in Samaria and themselves was a great great contrast and a Jew and the word Jew came from the tribe of Judah a Jew had no dealings with the Samaritans they were corrupt and they wouldn't even enter into the land but this is the land that Jesus journeyed in and we can thank God today that he journeys and Jesus still journeys in a lot of places that nice people don't go because how else would people find help if he didn't and so Jesus went there and he sat down at the well and this lady comes along and and we can read this and and it's not just a story it's something that happened it's not just about fictitious characters this lady was a real person she was no different than the ladies that are here the same type of a she was brought up in Samaria we read how later on we read later on this text how she said that our fathers told us that we should worship in this mountain and what she was really saying is that she was telling Jesus this is the way I've been brought up this is what I've been brought up and this is what I've been taught to do and you say that we should worship in Jerusalem and she kind of opened up the subject to see what it'd say about it and it's the same as true same is true of many people we meet. We see them, they're from different churches, they're from different religions, they're from different cultures. And they could say the same thing to us. Well, this is the way I was taught and this is the way I was brought up. This is the way I was told to worship. You meet somebody who worships Buddha and they'll say, well, I was, from a child, I was taught to worship Buddha. This is how I worship. We kind of could look at them and say they're ungodly pagan heathens adult they're they're idolaters and so on and uh, they're doing what they've been taught to do they've been they're living the way they were raised to live they've never known anything else they've never heard or seen of a better way but anyway so this that's what this woman was she was living her life she was living her life the only way she knew how to live it and she came and 
and she just happened to meet somebody. She came to the well and she just happened to meet somebody. There was a, a man sitting there. And he says, give me some water to drink. And she knew that he was a Jew and it startled her, it shocked her. Why are you asking me for water? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and, and the Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. She was confused. What kind of a man was this who would ask her, a Samaritan, for water, a Jew? And Jesus looked at her, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who I am, if you knew who was asking you for water, he said, you'd ask me for water and I would give you water. I would give to you living water. A strange answer, a strange, strange answer. She could have never in a million years expected that kind of an answer from man. If you knew the gift of God and who I am, you would ask me for water and I would give you living water. And he didn't, he didn't require, demand anything more than that. Except that if she just knew the gift of God and who she was, that's all she had to know. If those two things were open to her heart, the gift of God and who he was, then you would ask me for water and I would give it to you. That is so amazing. Just that statement. Just the way he said it and when he said it. If you knew the gift of God and who I am, I don't think any of us can contain and, and comprehend the depth of what he is saying and what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who I am. He didn't ask, he didn't require anything of her. He didn't say, oh, wait a minute, if you go through this and this and this and do this and go through this ceremony and all of this and like that, then you might become a child of God. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, if you knew the gift of God and who I am. And he didn't say, if you ask me for water, then I might give it to you under certain conditions. If you did this or this or that, I might give it to you. No stipulations. You would ask me for water and I would give you living water. Is there any place else in Scripture where the heart of Christ, the free gift of salvation, the loving, giving heart of God is made known through His Son more clearly than in this conversation into that woman? Just to know the gift of God and to know who I am any of us and, and for you little children I mean you come to church you come to Sunday school and we try to teach you many things but there is nothing there is absolutely nothing that we could teach you that would be greater than this than to know the gift of God and to know who he is and when I say know who he is not just 
his pedigree, but to know him, to know who he is, is to know his heart, know why he came, to know about his love toward you, to know his willingness to give up all that he had for the sake of our souls, how he willingly wanted to go and suffer and to die and be mocked and hated and bruised and ridiculed and shamed. He wanted with all his heart to do that so that we could be God's children. If we knew all of this, he says, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But she didn't understand. She says, well, this well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? That was a, every time they dipped from that well, they were going into their heritage and their history. Every time they approached that well, I'm sure that there was a, a tinge of awe in them when they realized that that well had been there already for centuries and that their father Jacob had dug that well and that water that they were drinking of was from the same water that he drank of. And it was a, it was a, a feeling, I'm sure, almost of reverence with which they drank of that water. And every people, every church, every country has a history. We have a, a, a heritage. And it goes back. And it's quite a feeling, even like some when they, when you go back to Israel and you see there the very places where Jesus journeyed, it's kind of awesome to to look at those places that uh, the Bible speaks of. And I'm sure with this woman it was like that. She, this is Jacob's well, and here sits a man who is kind of belittling this well. Are you greater than our father Jacob that gave us? this well are you trying to tell us that tell me that there that there is uh, that you're able to give me something that Jacob, Jacob couldn't give me heritages are nice memories are nice but the trouble with the trouble with Pedigree, the trouble with history and the trouble with heritage is, is that you gotta work at it to get any water out of it. You gotta dig to make the well. You've gotta dip and you've gotta labor to pull the water out of there. There's a lot of work in dealing with heritages. You know, we can go back to Luther, we can go back to Lestadius, and they were gifted men that God had used in their time, and we can, and we can dip from those wells, and, and we can get water even out of those wells that have been dug by our forefathers. But Jesus said that who drinks of that water will thirst again. But who drinks of the water he says, who drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up.
springing up into everlasting life. Nobody has to dig for it. When you drink of the water that Jesus gives, it will become in you a fountain. It'll come forth all by itself. You won't, no one, no one will have to do any digging. Nobody will have to try to find out from you. Now, wait a minute. What right do you have? What credentials do you have that allow you to say what you say or do what you do? Have you the right pedigree? Has it been passed down from generation to generation so that you can claim the right to give me the things of God? That's what happens when when you have to dip into the well. But if you drink of the water that Jesus gives, it'll come become a fountain. It'll spring forth all by itself. Whether anybody needs a drink or doesn't need a drink, it doesn't matter. It's still going to keep springing forth. And fortunate are they that drink from it. But it will come forth, and the things of God are abundant. A fountain springs forth a well, the water that isn't used, it stays there. A fountain, when it springs forth, the water that isn't used is wasted, it evaporates, it flows away. But it doesn't matter, because the fountain is going to keep on flowing. It doesn't matter whether somebody drinks or not, because there's more where that came from. When Jesus sowed the seed, he, it didn't matter if he wasted seed. It didn't matter if some fell among thorns. It didn't matter if he fell on a paved area or a fertile ground. It just didn't matter because there's plenty of seed. Just keep sowing. Maybe, who knows, you might find a little fertile patch that will bring forth fruit. If you have a fountain and you just keep forth, keep flowing forth, you don't know when someone who is thirsty might come along. You don't know when that fountain might be a nourishment for somebody who's been walking through a barren and a dry life and has found no refreshment whatsoever in anything. People walk in through life and they get thirsty. When God wanted to give his children to drink water, he told Moses to smite the rock and water flowed forth from that rock and there was millions of people and they all drank and there was enough for them and it said that rock which followed them was Christ and then when the woman asked for that water he told her go get your husband go get your husband and come here and she says I don't have a husband he says that's right you don't that's right you don't have a husband you've had five <clears throat> That man you're with now, he's not your husband. And she was shocked, I'm sure. She says, I I see that you must be a prophet. You know all about me. And that's when she started defending. If he was a prophet, well, he's going to be very particular where she worships. So she started defending her pedigree. And she says, well, we... You know, our fathers taught us to worship here, but Jesus told her that that you don't know what you worship. He says that salvation is of the Jews. God left His promise with His with the with Judah, and He lineage through Judah. 
Jerusalem was chosen as the holy city. The temple was built according to God's instructions. So Jesus told her that you don't know what you worship, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But then he went further and he said that that the time, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Worship is done in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Not, not in show and in actions. No question that actions will come from a spirit. Whatever the spirit is in you that's motivating you, that's what your actions are going to be. They will be made evident through actions. However, it is the spirit that is far more important. We can emulate actions. We can copy somebody's actions. We can all bow down our head and when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father, we can all say that. It's easy to teach everyone to say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can go through the thing, but that's not praying. That's repeating words that you've been taught to say. People can be taught actions, but only God can reach the heart. Only God can affect the spirit. And what God wants all of us to do is to worship him in spirit. And it's ultra, ultra important, that word that he added, that it be in truth. We are altogether too, too subject to peer pressure and to, and to putting on an act, to appearing before men to be what they want us to be talking the way people want us to talk and it's strange when you go from one church to another there there's so many people the same you go into a baptist church and baptist people tend to be certain they're all clean cut and they're and they're very uh, gentlemanly and and gentlewomanly i mean they're they're very proper people they're nice people generally very respectful and pleasant people as you've met them and and uh, and even the everything is done very respectfully. Even the altar calls that they have and the invitation to to come to Christ and to serve God is all done in a very respectful manner. But they're all like that, and you won't see anybody too emotional amongst the Baptists. And you go to the Pentecostals, and everybody there is going to be pretty emotional. And I mean, they're going to be on fire. I mean, and and it's I don't know. Is it that birds of a feather flock together? Is it that do they become because their natural inclination is like that that they fit into that group and that's what they join? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that when you look at churches and groups of people, they are all very similar for the most part. And if they are all very similar, then how much? How much of it is truth? Who of us can be really what we are, even in our own midst? How many of us can really be what we are? 
or how many of us are being what we're expected to be so that somebody doesn't come and start hollering at us for being what they don't want us to be it's ultra important it's very very important and I'm not saying that everyone should be a rebel and do their own thing I'm not saying that we shouldn't be subject one to another and that we shouldn't conform it's important that we not be offensive to other people that we be, cons be considerate of other people's feelings that's very important but when it goes over the threshold and when the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump if hypocrisy phoniness gets into us it permeates everything that we are everything that we say everything that we do becomes phony it becomes fake it becomes a show everything is permeated by that falseness falseness God wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth the truth is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before they ate the fruit they were naked after they ate of that forbidden fruit they covered their nakedness the truth is what we are the truth is who we are the truth is our relationship with God when we're all by ourselves and no one is around just me and God just you and God just me and Jesus just you and Jesus all alone that is the truth what we are in the presence of other people is often what they expect us or want us to be it's important we cannot come into this church and worship we can't just decide well I'm gonna go to worship if that worship is not ready already in your heart when you came here this morning if it wasn't there then I can't put it there you can't put it there I mean when we come together to worship it's a it's a uniting of the individual worships that's in each one of our hearts already and that worship is there when we lay down to bed last night when we get up this morning when we're making breakfast when we're driving here that worship is a continu continual part of our life and Jesus says God seeketh such to worship him There's, there was already plenty of churches there was already a plenty, plenty of worship going on the temples were full the holy days were well attended there was pilgrim pilgrimages made on the holy days to Jerusalem people came by the thousands and they flocked to the city to keep the feast of the Passover and they thought that in this great multitude and all this pomp and circumstance that God was impressed somehow by their devotion and as God looked down on that big crowd on those thousands of people he's looking with his eyes to see are there any that are walking in truth are there are there any that are worshiping me in their spirit in their heart are there any that stopped to give some thirsty poor old beggar a little drink of water 
Are there any that looked with eyes of compassion upon the poor? Are there any that had forgiveness for those who weren't as strong as they were? Or were they all there just to impress God with their show of worship? God isn't impressed. He's only impressed with what's in the heart. Be faithful in the little things and I will set you over greater things. Which is called Christ and he'll tell us everything. It was quite a thing for her to say to him and I know she was expecting the answer and he says that I that speak to you I'm I'm him we can't know the profoundness of it God's son sitting there God sitting there talking to this woman but he did not want to hide it from her and he doesn't want to hide it from us I that speak to you I'm him I'm God I'm your creator I'm the one that formed the world. I knew you before you ever came from your mother's womb, before you were ever born. I knew your heart, I knew your soul, I knew your life, I knew your struggles. I knew your pain, I knew your sorrow. I know you to the very depths. Yeah, I'm him. I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, I'm talking to you. I'm the one that told you that if you just asked me, I would give you the living water. In Jesus' name, amen. The next song is number 526.